0: Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13 is where we're at today. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. We're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. Pastor Andrew, I believe, preached to you about baptism last week. I'm grateful for his work and ministry in our church, his friendship in my life, and him handling the Word of God when I am gone. Um, But we're going to be picking up where we left off in Philippians. Probably got this week and next week, and then we're done. Uh, We've completed Philippians. I'm going to be a little sad about that just because I've immensely enjoyed uh, preaching through this book with you. And uh, it's it's just a great book of joy. Beginning in verse 10 of chapter 4, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. Boy, Paul, he doesn't let us off the hook at all, does he? In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your complete and absolute sufficiency in our lives. Jesus, you're everything that we need. You're all that we need. Jesus, having you uh, makes us complete. It, It satisfies our soul uh, Lord, we trust your providence, your care for us, your your, your parenting our lives. You're a good father, and we, we trust you as our father. Father in heaven, I, I pray that you'd send your spirit to teach us the word today, to write it on our hearts. Lord, let us learn this, this difficult lesson of being content. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, if you've been here for the last three months or so, um, yeah, you have to ask the question, what's God teaching us as a church through this book? Not just in, in individual sermons, but as you string all of these together in these four chapters of Philippians, you notice that there's a continual theme that Paul is just pressing upon our lives You know, Philippians is a book, unlike many books in the New Testament, where Paul gives a lot of personal testimony. He just says, this is what God's doing to me, and this is what he has done to me, and this is my situation. And so we learn a lot about just the doctrines of of God in in real life, you know. And and I was thinking about just putting all these chapters together. And and now in chapter 1, Paul starts out talking about this horrible thing in his life, him being imprisoned, you know, and facing execution. And and he talks about his incredible joy at what God is doing through this horrible thing. Thing in his life. And then, then he goes to the latter part of chapter one. I'm just going to give you a quick review here. Latter part of chapter one, he talks about, you know, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And, and Paul talks about the, the thought of facing death. And he's able to do that with joy. He's able to say, you know, what, it's a win win. You know, if God leaves me here, I'm going to continue for your joy in the faith. If God takes me home, I'm going to honor God in my death. And the big deal to me is that Christ will be honored. And then in chapter two, Paul talks about his life being poured out. He uses that image. I'm being poured out. My life is being poured out for your faith and his joy. He used that word. I rejoice in in being able to suspend my life for you. In chapter three, he talks about how he used to value all these other things. And and he used to look to to his identity and his, his family and his position and his status to give him kind of worth in life. And man, when he came to know Jesus, remember chapter three, verse eight, when he came to know the surpassing worth of Jesus. Some of you haven't got there yet. Some of you are just kind of checking Christianity out. Out, and you haven't come to see that Jesus is worth everything. Okay. And Paul says, when I saw that, man, my life was upside down because all that stuff that I used to think, man, I got to have all these things to make me who I am. Now, all I got to have is Jesus. And now in chapter four, Paul's essentially writing a thank you note. That's, that's what, what I just read to you. It's a thank you note. Okay. It's maybe one of the weirdest ones you've ever ever read, right? Because Paul seems to say, Hey, thanks, but I want you to know that I didn't really need it. Okay. That's not really what he's saying. He wants them to know that that he really appreciates them. He appreciates their their friendship, their partnership in ministry. He loves them and he thanks them for their gift. But he wants to make sure they, they realize that he is fully content, fully satisfied in any and every situation because Jesus is always enough For Paul. That's what he says there. Jesus is always enough for me. If I've got Jesus, I have enough. My cup is always full when Jesus is in it. Okay? Now, if you've been paying attention through these last four chapters, man, I tell you what, we are in trouble, church. We're in trouble. If, if, if we are a Christian who hits the panic button on a regular basis, okay? Are you one of those, you know? You go through life and, man, you know, something goes wrong in your life and, bam, you hit the panic button. alarms go off. You begin to fall apart. You stress out. You blow up. You know, if, if that's you, if you're a Christian and in your tendency, maybe even your habitual habit of your life is to gripe and complain about everything in your life. If you're a Christian and you, you're one of those people that you wake up at night just twisting. It up in worry, you know, just what if this happens or what if this happens? And I don't know about this and that. They said that and, you know, you're just all bent out of shape. If you're one of those Christians that you just look at your life and you're always like, man, I just got the bad deal. You know, God gave me the bad deal and God gave everybody else a good deal. And my deal's a bad deal. And I draw the short of end the, of the straw every time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just God's never done anything good for me. If you're one of those Christians who, who you're regularly exasperated and you're put out with everyone, you're seldom happy and usually discontented. I would think that by next week when we finish this up, you're going to have to go to the spiritual ER, okay? Because Paul has beat you to death, all right? I mean, has he not? I mean, just this relentless, not letting us go with this, we've got to be a people who are at peace in every circumstance. Even just chapter 4. Just look at the last month of where we've been. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul loves those words like always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about... Anything. Notice how he throws us in. Anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication. Then he says, with thanksgiving, you've got to be a person who's thankful with all of your requests. Let your requests be made known to God. And then in verse 8, he tells us, you've got to force your mind only to those things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. And, and he says the result of that will be verse 7. Where the peace of God surpasses all understanding and it wraps around your heart, it guards your heart. And in verse 9, where the God of peace... We'll be with you, my friends. We've got to be that kind of Christian. And Paul kind of almost sums it up today by saying, Listen, I I had to learn the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I had to, I had to learn to be content in every situation. What do you think about that word content? I've defined it in various ways, preaching to you in lots of different passages. Usually we say something like, you're full, you got a sufficiency, you're blessed. Here's what I want you to think about today, though. I was thinking about this as an illustration. I like it this week, okay? I think, I think contentment is all the pieces of your puzzle, your, your at-peace puzzle, your joy puzzle, your I'm-at-rest-things-are-good puzzle, all the pieces are there in your life, Okay? That that's what contentment is. Now, now here's here's the struggle. Some people have lots of different pieces in their puzzle, okay? Some people have five or six, you know? I mean, the money's gotta be right, my health's gotta be right. You know, my marriage's got to be right. My kids got to be right, and uh, you know, my, the weather's got to be right. You know, and then you got you got all those, okay? And and, and if one of those is out, whoo, you're out. You know, if the marriage is out, you're out. You're on Facebook. You know, if the finances are out, man, you're you're coming home despairing and you're puffing and puffing and all of that. Okay, you're, if one of those pieces is out, you're out. Okay. Now the real problem is some people I'm convinced have like. 900 pieces to their puzzle. I mean, literally, they will walk through this life and never, not one day in their life will they be content. I mean, it, there's always something wrong. There's always, they're put out. There's always, everybody does this. There's always, I mean, it's like 900 things have to come together. You know, if one of those pieces, they work hard to get one piece in another goes out. I mean, they're just never content. Here's the deal. Here's what Paul's saying. He's got one piece. One Even I can do a puzzle like that. I'm not good at puzzles. I can put a one-piece puzzle together, all right? And Paul is saying, my one piece is Jesus. That's the one piece in my puzzle. If I have him, I am full. If I have him, I'm blessed. If I've got the gospel, I am rich in Christ. And listen, this is not a new thing with Paul. The Bible's been saying that for, for hundreds of years. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. What's I shall not want? Isn't that I'm content? Isn't that, isn't he saying, man, if God's my shepherd, if I've got God, if, if God is in my life guarding me and caring for me and leading me, and if he's my shepherd, if he's near to me, I don't want for anything. I've, it's good. It's good. Esta bien en español. It's good, right? It's all there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's what Paul is saying. But that's very different from what most of the people in our society are saying. Man, most folks in our society, man, it's it's got this gotta be, right, got be right, and this gotta be right, and this gotta be right. And if I don't have this, I'm just not happy with where I live, and I'm not happy with what I drive, and I'm not happy with, with my, my my family, and I'm happy with my kids, and I'm not, you know, all and, and, and if all these are not in there just right, I I'm distressed, I'm upset, I'm discouraged, I'm despairing. I think the greatest example, two things in our culture that you see. They just prove we're a discontent culture. Number one, the amount of consumer debt. You know, credit cards are, are a way many times to express, I am trying to fill what is empty in my life. Now, not always, okay? You know, if your kid got leukemia and you were in children's hospital for two years and couldn't work and had to put groceries, okay, I get Man, man. Yeah, that happens sometimes, right? That's not discontent. That's just trying to make it as a family, okay? But most of the time, that's not what credit cards are about, are they? Most of the time, credit cards are about, hey, I am unhappy, but if I had that, I would be happy until I get it. Now I'm still unhappy, but if I get this to go with it, I will be happy then, right? And and, and, and I work really hard, and I bust my tail. There's got to be reward for this, and so I need something else to fill my life. Divorce. Divorce, and again, I know there's some times where people get divorced. There's nothing, you know, there's been habitual adultery, there's abandonment, there's, you know abuse, there's there's terrible things I understand that go on, but many times you know in divorces divorce is people just saying, I'm not happy with you. You know? You, you know, I, I really thought I, I was reading my Harlequins and I really thought it was gonna be like that. You know, I thought when you walked outside your hair would flow, you know, and, and your your muscles would, would bulge and you would, you know, sweep me up and carry me in, oh the I mean I thought it was gonna be like that and you're not like that at all, man. You are sitting there reclining and eating Doritos, you know, and I can't be happy. Actually, that's what most Americans, that's what it is. It's, man, I'm looking for you to make me happy. you got to put all the pieces in my puzzle. Paul says we need to learn the lesson of being content. Now, listen, contentment is not unambitious. Don't make that mistake. A lot of people would think, well, so contentment means I just... You know, I started out at the bottom in my company and I just need to remain at the bottom. No, no, man, read Proverbs. Proverbs says you need to be industrious. You need to work hard. You need to think of ways to, to, to progress and to bless people and to be, be productive. Okay, you need, to, you need to be a hard worker. That, that, that's All of that is true. But, 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 but again, all of that is true in the context of however, Jesus is my one piece. Right? And if this doesn't work out, if this, this goes wrong, and it will, and this situation, I'm still good. I'm still good. Things are, are good in my life because I have that peace. In fact, there are certain areas in our life where, or actually there's only one, <laughs> one area in our life where both contentment and discontentment actually go hand in hand. Where both ambition and restfulness go hand in hand. And that is in our pursuit of Jesus. If you go back into chapter 3 of Philippians, it's interesting that Paul says this in chapter 3, and then he talks about contentment in chapter 4. But in chapter 3 in verse 12, he says, not. I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. One thing I do forget what lies behind. Listen, strain forward what lies ahead. Press on, verse 14, toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you remember what Paul said? Do you remember this? Or not Paul, but Jesus, I'm sorry. What Jesus said in Matthew 5? He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. How does that work together? Most of the time when you hunger and thirst, that means you're not satisfied, right? You want something else. But Jesus says in the spiritual life, we, we sang a song in the 830 service and the refrain went like this, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry for more of you. And then the chorus went, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty for more of you. And, and that's Christian life, isn't it? I've got Jesus, and he's all that I need, and I'm so thrilled with what I have in Christ. He's my everything. He meets all of my needs. Oh, but I still want more of him, okay? There, 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 there's that with Jesus. There isn't that with anything else, okay? There isn't that with anything else. And, and so Paul is saying, man, we need to go to school. It's been a long time since some of you have been to school, hasn't it? but you need to go back to school. Okay. Cause you got to learn a lesson here. You got to learn something. Notice verse 11. Paul says, I have learned. I have learned. What does that imply? That implies that we don't already know this. We can't already do this. This is something we have to cultivate in our life. If you're not intentional about this, you will not get there. My friends, you have to learn this. If Paul had to learn it. We will have to learn it. Okay. You have to learn this, this ability to be content in whatever situation. That's the key. Look at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in in need, for I've learned in whatever situation. Verse 12 says in every circumstance. You see a lot of us think, well contentment is just when all my pieces are there. Bing, bing this is the greatest time of my life. You know, I'm going to greatly enjoy this day because it's not going to last, right? That's what most people think of when contentment But Paul's saying, no, it it, it is in every situation, it's in any circumstance, it's all the time. I'm going to learn this lesson of of, of whatever situation comes into my life. I'm going to learn, I'm going going to learn from the Holy Spirit how to be content. Remember, Paul's in prison. Generally, prison is not something people seek out, is it, you know? I mean, I don't know of anybody that says, you know, what's the goal of your life? It's just to be in prison, you know, and that's where I want to be. No, nobody likes that. I mean, it, 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 it's a terrible place for Paul to be. And Paul is saying that he's not controlled by those circumstances, but he has learned in both the good and the bad times to be content. Now, some of you, you think you got the good down, right? Isn't that funny where Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. You know, I've learned the secret of facing plenty. Some of you are like, oh, dude, I got that down. You know, I could be the rich guy. I'd be a great rich guy, right? And now let some of you pray, you yeah, Lord, I would be great at that. Lord, I would be great at having everything easy in my life. You know, the scriptures would beg to differ, actually. It's tricky to be, to have everything you want. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Children of Israel have been in the wilderness for 40 years. They're about to go in the promised land. Now you would think, all right, times are about to get easy, right? We're about to go in the promised land. Deuteronomy eight eleven. Moses says, guys, be careful. Take care. Lest you forget the Lord your God by, by not keeping his commandments and rules and statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and you built good houses and you live in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied. Oh, this is good, isn't it? Sounding great. And all that you have is multiplied. Then your heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. There's a trick to having all your pieces. Right? Man if if God gives you that. If all of a sudden all these pieces line up. Woo be careful. Be careful. Sometimes you're, you're tempted to take the big piece of Jesus. And lay it aside. Because you got all these pieces. You don't think so? How about David? How about David? Now. Listen, David is not an example of marriage in any way, shape, or form, all right? But I want to try to prove a point here to you. David had a harem of the finest women in Israel, okay? I mean, we're talking the most beautiful women. We're talking the smartest, the sweetest, the most submissive, the, 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 the most delightful, okay? If Israel had a beauty pageant, David had them all. He had them all as his wives in the harem. Did that make him... I mean, what's, what's the logical conclusion there? This would be a guy who would be really content, right? With that area of his life. Man, that's the area that he failed at, that he blew his life apart and suffered every day afterward for. How about Solomon? Solomon was a guy who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, had everything that he ever wanted, brilliant mind. The dude spends his entire life, mo- most all scholars agree, he wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. He spends his entire life figuring out that all this stuff won't satisfy. That's, have you ever read, read Ecclesiastes? Real depressing, man. Uh, if you, man, you have to have Prozac to go through Ecclesiastes to the end. I mean, really. Because, man, he's like, you know, I tried this, and man, it didn't satisfy. And I tried this, and 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 it, and this, and it was all vanity. You know, he gets to the end of his life, and finally he's like, vanity of vanities, all his vanity, you know? The only thing, the, the only thing that, that a man can do is put his hope in God. It's like, yeah, Psalm—we it's that at the beginning, you know? But abundance is hard. Church of Laodicea, remember them? Jesus said, man, you're neither hot nor cold. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Revelation 3, remember that? Why? Why, why, why? He said, because you think you're rich, but you're really poor. You think you got it all, you got nothing. You get all your pieces, and you forgot the one big piece. Remember the rich young ruler? Man, he's getting ready to get Jesus. (laughs) But he walks away. Why? Because he's convinced he can still put all these pieces together. And so so Paul says here in chapter 4, man, I've learned the secret of having lots. I've learned the secret of having having little. Whatever situation, my, my contentment is not situationally based. But he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. What's the secret he talks about in verse 12? Well, I think it's verse 13, okay? Verse 12, he says, I've learned the secret. What's the secret? Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. that That's the secret, okay? The secret is I can do all these things, whatever situation God puts me in. I can I, I can do that through Jesus' power who strengthens me. Now, I want to go ahead and elaborate on that in the form of a process, okay? That's kind of the way I think of things, is how is this going to work in my life, all right? So what I want to do is I want to lay out the process for you that I see in the scriptures, and then we're going to look at a couple examples. If we have time, at least one. If we have time, two. And then we'll talk about some dangers. Number one, so what's the problem? What's the secret of contentment? First of all, your contentment is threatened. You're saying that's the secret? <laughs> Actually, it is. It starts there, okay? Because if your contentment is not threatened, you don't learn the secret of being content in every situation. Okay, so here's what I gotta tell you. I gotta tell you, there's gonna be times in your life where God's gonna, or the world's gonna, or evil people are gonna knock your puzzle piece out of your box, okay? All right, everybody agree there? There's gonna be those times, all right? Now, here's the key. Most people blow it right here. I mean, they never even get to, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because as soon as their puzzle piece goes out of their box, you know what happens? They react sinfully, I mean, they blow it that fast. The puzzle piece goes out of the box. And as it's going out, of it's still in the air. And you know what they're doing? They're despairing. They're grumbling. They're griping. They're whining. They're complaining. They're murmuring. They're saying, why, God? They're, they're falling apart. They're anxiety ridden. They're completely fearful. They're, they're, they're upset with everything. And the puzzle piece hasn't even landed. All right. So they don't even have a time, they don't even have, have, have time to to learn to be content in every situation because as soon as the situation comes, they react sinfully. Friends, I'm telling you, for many people, you you have to discipline yourselves not to fall apart when your puzzle piece goes out of your box. You can't, you can't immediately feel empty. Because here's the deal if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not empty. You're never empty. You're not. Do you understand that? You're not empty, man. I had the great joy of, of teaching through Ephesians with the village pastors, and man, one the first thing I did is I said, "Guys, I want to show you some consistent themes in Ephesians." And I said, "One of the themes in Ephesians is the riches that God has bestowed on our life." Paul uses the word riches over and over in the Book of Ephesians. Ephesians one. Verse 7, the riches of his grace poured out upon us. Ephesians 1, verse 18, the riches of our glorious inheritance in the saints. Chapter 2, verse 6, verse 4, the richness of God's mercy placed upon us. Verse 7 of chapter 2, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us who believe. Chapter 3, verse 8, the riches of Christ, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Chapter 3, verse uh, 16, the riches of his glory strengthening our, our, our inner lives. I mean, over and over again, Paul, when he writes Ephesians, there's this theme... That you are not empty. In fact he starts out the book of Ephesians. With this verse. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has. Listen. Blessed us. In Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's either true or it isn't. I think it's true. And if that's true, then believers, again, I'm talking to believers. I'm not talking to mankind. I'm not talking to everybody out there. Probably not even everybody in here, okay? Some of you are still seeking. You're still trying to figure out if, if Jesus is really better than everything. You, you're still trying to figure that out. Is he Can I really trust him? Can I really obey him? Is he really my savior? Did he really take care of me? I mean, Some of you are still in that process, but I'm telling you, if you're a believer, okay, if you put your faith in Christ, you're never empty. You have all the riches of Christ in your life, and therefore you've you got to discipline yourself. When your puzzle comes apart, you can't immediately react that you're empty. You're not empty. You can't immediately say, this is all bad. It's all, I'm all despairing. Uh, I'm all falling apart. You got to quickly say no. You got to quickly force your mind to be thankful for all of God's riches. You got to immediately come to God before you can respond sinfully. Do you understand what I'm saying? I I, I don't want to belabor this, but I really think a lot of folks never get past step one. You know, I mean, they're they're just falling apart in despair. You know, you had your ducks all lined up and you're just getting your phone out to take a picture of them. And man, one got kicked out and now you're just, ah, you're all, ah, you know, anger, despair, you know. I, I mean, really, a lot of people are exactly like that. We gotta gotta allow the duck to, to be kicked to the other side. Maybe all of them. There they all went. I got no ducks now. You got no ducks, but you got Jesus. So if you can discipline yourself to not react sinfully in that moment, then what do you do? You turn to the power of Jesus. I can do all things. What's all things? All things is not, I can be an Olympic athlete, I can jump the Grand Canyon in a single bound. That's silly, right? What's all things? It's what Paul's talking about here. I can be made low, I can be abounded, I can have difficulty, I can have prison, I can have sickness, I can have financial trouble, I can have difficult relationships, I can have a kid who goes astray. I can have these things and not fall apart. I can do all things. Why? Because Jesus strengthens me. Jesus strengthens my inner man. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content. Be content with what you have. Interesting. What's the reason? Let's keep reading. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, now you see, that's not what we wanted to say, is it? Here's what we want. Let Let me give you our version, okay? Here's our version. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have for. He has said, I will always give you plenty of money to do whatever you want to do. Right? That's, that's why, you know, let's scratch that in there. Right? No, that's not what it is. What does he say? He says, I'm with you. Be content. Why? I'm here. If you're, if you're a believer, you are joined to me. My spirit is in you. I am with you. I will not forsake you. I will not let you down. I am with you. So trust my power. Trust me. Trust that I'm at work. Trust that my power is going to come into your life. Trust that I'm doing something good. Trust that I'm a good father. You've been adopted, have you not? Remember, that's one of those blessings in Ephesians 1. You've been adopted into God's family, and God is a good dad. Hebrews 6.30, I'm sorry, not Hebrews, Matthew 6.32 tells us that, in Jesus talking about anxiety. He says, the Gentiles seek after all these things, all these things in the world that you need, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And then he goes on in chapter seven right down from there chapter seven and he talks about how 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 we're good fathers we give our kids what they what what they need and then in verse eleven he says if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him do you see the parallel there okay you and I we we, we can we can, we know how to give good things to our kids we know when to say no when to say yes but we're, we're bent the wrong way we fail a lot do we not as 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 human dads we mess it up a lot I was walking back to uh a place where we were staying after teaching for one day and they were, they were tearing down the market. They, they set up the market during the day. All kinds of vegetables and flowers and stuff they bring in. And then they tear it all down at night. They roll it up. They cart it away. They got these little carts. They take it away. They're all doing that. And there's these four boys in this, this vacant lot right beside the market. It's like some... So you could tell there were buildings there, but they've crumbled. And so it's just kind of a lot full of rubble. And there's these four boys. There's two of them on this side and there's two of them on this side. Two of them kind of on top of a rubble pile and two of them down here. And they're having a rock fight. Okay? And it's really interesting, you know, just to see the strategy of, of the four, you know, the one kid, he's like a big rock guy. He's going for the, the one 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 hit kill, okay? He's got these great big ones and he's like, oh, shot putting them out there, you know? And another kid, he went completely the other way. He picks up a whole bunch of the little gravelly rock and like shotgun approach, you know? Like he throws like 10 at one time and it's all spread out. And they're having this rock fight, you know, at, at one another. And I mean, my first instinct is, where's these guys' parents, you know? This is not going to end well, you know? I mean, Come on, I mean, what kind of parents are they? You don't rock fi- then I thought you know what? maybe that's not I mean, you won't do it twice, I bet you know I mean that's probably you on the bad end of that. You probably learned your lesson. I don't know but 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 we don't always do it right sometimes I don't know what's the right thing as a parent but let me let me assure you this, God does all right if if whatever your situation is, he's a good dad, he knows. And he's with you. He's with you. He's not absent. He's not not noticing. No, be content. Why? The Lord is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He is near to you. And so you just need to rest, okay? You need to be okay. You need to be okay that I'm in this situation. I can't do anything about it. My puzzle pieces all got kicked out. There's just a Jesus piece in here. But that's okay because he won't leave me. He won't forsake me. He's a good dad. He's powerful enough to help me. I think probably to do well at this one, you, you need to memorize some key verses. A couple that I love. Whenever I think that there's something in my life that I really need and God's not giving it to me, Psalm eighty four eleven. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing, no good thing does he withhold. So if my father has not given it to me, what does that mean? I don't need it, right? I mean isn't that what a good dad does. I mean I don't give my kids everything they want. Right? My gosh, they'd have ice cream every day. <laughs> and so sometimes our father withholds stuff. All right, number three. So number one, you gotta you gotta you gotta resist the urge to fall apart. Okay? And, and you got to not fall directly into sin. Number two, you got to go directly to Jesus and trust his power and trust his goodness. And number three, you got to fight hard to see the big picture. Don't you think sometimes when our puzzle pieces get kicked out that there's a bigger picture? Don't you think that sometimes there's something else going on maybe that we can't see? Sometimes. Sometimes we're only thinking about our immediate comfort when maybe we need to be thinking about the condition of our soul. Maybe we need to be thinking about our spiritual growth. Maybe we need to be thinking about the edification and the building up of others. Maybe we need to be thinking about the advancement of the gospel. Maybe we need to have our mind elsewhere other than our immediate comfort. Man, Paul did this so well. Paul did so. Okay, so he's in prison, right? He's in jail. Man, he can't go where he wants to. He's chained to a Roman soldier. So, how does he handle that? Well, he, he, he broadens his mind to see the big picture. Listen to chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, this is chapter 1, Philippians, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known to the whole imperial guard, to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak to word without fear you see what paul does there i mean his his immediate response surely was hey it's not a great deal for me to be in jail this is not good but then he begins to broaden his mind okay he's trusting the power of christ he broadens his mind so all right let me see the big picture you know what man how else is the gospel going to get into nero's palace how how are you going to do that You know, you don't just walk up as a Christian and knock on the door and say, I got some tracks. I'd like to talk to Nero. I'd like to talk to his guards. I'd like to talk to his chief officers. But you know what happened to Paul? He was chained to one six hours at a time, 24 hours a day. That's a lot of time to share the gospel. Paul says, man, I brought my mind. I'm beginning to see the big picture here. You see, my friends. We, we need to, at times, not focus on our discontent. We need to not focus on, 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 our, on, on what's wrong in our life. We need to focus on the kingdom. Jesus said that your fo- that's where your focus has got to be. I mean, here's, here's what tempt- we're tempted to do. We get a puzzle piece that knock, knocks out of our box, right? And you know what we do? Here's what we want to do. We want to go over to that puzzle piece and we want to employ all of our energy, all of our efforts to get that puzzle piece back in, right? And a lot of times what we do is we end up leaving other things, right? We turn away from, from the scriptures and from service and from the kingdom and building up others. Because why? We, we got this thing and we got to get back in the box. That is the opposite of what Jesus says to do. Matthew 6, here's what he says. This is a passage about anxiety. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. See, that's the opposite. Jesus says there, you seek to do kingdom purposes and all put your puzzle pieces together. But most of the time, that's not what we do. Most of the time we say, you know what? When my life gets all put together, then I'm going to And how many times have you heard that? When I get my life put together, then I'm going to serve. When I get my life put together, then I'm going to get serious about Bible study. When I get my life put together, then I'm going gonna... I'm to start working in the church. When I get my life put together, then... Man, we hear. I heard this yesterday. I'm I'm driving back from Oklahoma City from the airport, and I passed this this black car, side of the road, flat tire. For three miles, I gave incredibly great reasons why I should not stop, you know. I mean, I don't want to be a creeper guy. I'm I'm sure this lady has a cell phone. she probably call her husband. You know, he's probably on his way. She wasn't outside the car. That's surely an indication that she doesn't want help, you know. About mile three, God said, look, you can keep driving, but you're going back, so it's just you're wasting your own time. All right. So I go back. Sure enough, she just had surgery in Oklahoma City. Um, she said, I can change the tire, but I can't lift anything. I just had my gallbladder out. Say, hey, man, let's get her done. got the jack. I'm jacking it up. I'm talking to her as I'm, I'm changing her tire. And, and she's, she's going to church in Oklahoma City. She's going to church where she lives in the Panhandle now. She's a Christian. She says, what are you doing? I said, well, I just got back from Guatemala. And she said the line that so many Christians have say all their life. Oh, I, oh I'm going to do that someday. And I don't know what's behind that. It could be that she just had an opportunity yet. But you know, for a lot of Christians, what that means? I'm waiting until all my stuff is together. And then I'm going to serve God. I don't think you'll ever serve Him. Because your stuff's already together, <laughs> it's together in Christ. Let me give you a couple examples, all right? So on your outline, if you're following that, you should have some examples of this process. Let's do, yikes, one. We're going to do one, all right? right. Second Corinthians 12, sorry, we're out of time. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, here we go, verse 7. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. All right, three things there. Thorn, painful thing, okay? Uh, thorn in the flesh, a painful thing. Messenger of Satan, an evil thing. To harass me, a very difficult thing. Paul's got this tough, difficult, evil thing pressing on him in his life. So what does he do? He does not fall apart. He does not despair of life itself. He does not wring his hands in anxiety. He goes to the Lord. Verse 8, three times I plead with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, notice there, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is with you, Paul. Trust me. Okay, so what does Paul do? Num- number three, he sees the big picture. Okay, end verse nine. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ will rest in me. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am, see it, content. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions. Why? He sees the big picture. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. He sees that this is doing something in him that's more valuable than he could imagine. At home, if you want to look at it, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10, same sort of passage. I could work through that with you where Paul is stretched to to be utterly burdened. He goes to the end of himself. He looks to God. He relies on God, God's power. He sees the big picture. Many are giving thanks unto God. I mean, it's a beautiful picture. All right, four quick dangers of discontent, okay? What are the dangers of being discontent? Number one, when we are discontent, we express that we believe God's done a poor job in taking care of us. Now, I believe that... I believe that irritates God. My reasoning may be unsound with that, but my reasoning is it irritates me when when my kids do this to me. And actually, they don't do it very many. They don't actually do it at all anymore because we've had many talks, okay? But what we used to do is we used to plan to go on a vacation, you know, and I, I planned for months. You know, so there's seven of us. We can't just pull out the Six Flags card. That costs like $10,000 for us to go to Six Flags, you know. So we actually, we got to find, I got to find some place, you know, cool. I got to pack a ball our camping gear. We got to drive there. I got all this effort, you know. And here's what I hated. They don't do it anymore. They're really good about it. But I hated, we'd get there, we'd be looking at this grand whatever, and one of them would say it. What are we doing next? That, that, that irritates me. Like, what else? What next? I tell you, some folks never feel blessed. I mean, Jesus hangs on the cross for you. He spills his blood out and he takes all your filth upon himself. Are you gonna stand up and say, Don't you have anything else for me, God? What else? What next, God? When are you going to bless me? Number two, man, it's hard to embrace faith and hope when you think you're empty. I mean, it's just hard to exercise those things. It's hard to exercise faith and hope. Faith is this embracing of all that Jesus is. Hope is this confident expectation of what he's going to do. If you're feeling empty, it's just hard to do that. Number three, when you're empty, you look to the wrong things to fill you you up. Emptiness leads to temptation. Temptation. Remember the Garden of Eden? Man, they got this great deal going, don't they? Man, fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, everything they need. And they're doing great until the serpent comes in and tells them, wow, this is what you got? You got junk, dude. I mean, man, you can't eat of the tree. I tell you, you're missing out. You're not living. Man, what you got is a bad deal here. When they bought that, what happened? They sinned. And you'll do the same thing if you if you walk around feeling empty. Number 4, I already talked about this a little bit. You miss some great opportunities. And if you're if you're spending your whole life trying to get your puzzle pieces back in instead of focusing on the kingdom, and there's there's cool stuff that God wants to do in you and your family and your kids and and you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it because you're going to spend much of your life in this despairing, fretful Depending on your personality, angry, frustrated, put out, state. That's no way to live. We got to go to school, folks. I wish, I wish, here's what I wish. I wish this was a one sermon and we got it deal. Wouldn't that be awesome? I just don't think it is. I think we only learn this through being put in these situations. It's coming. It's coming. we got to be ready. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us to learn contentment. I pray by the power of your spirit that you'd teach us, God, to, to be satisfied in you, to know that you're a good father. You take care of us. We can trust you. God, to pray that you'd help us to, God, to live in a way that honors you, to live like Paul did. Father, we ask for your power in this and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.